We are so glad that every single one of you uh, is here this morning, and we pray that you feel uh, loved and welcomed. My name is John, and uh, we just want to say it is good to be together uh, and worship on this bright and shiny spring day. It was before you got here, and then it got gray all of a sudden, so I don't know what happened uh, with that. But uh, we want you to know that uh, you are welcome here and that there is a place for you here uh, within our community. And we also want you to know, if you ever have any questions, maybe uh, you're new or you're checking things out, if you ever have any questions, please let us know. Uh, we, we love questions. We'd rather have you ask than assume. So uh, let us know if there's anything we can ever help you with or get connected with. Um, everything from... Uh, anything to do with the nursery or uh, how things go with ministry to your kids or, or tithing or how to get connected here uh, at the church. Any, any random questions that you might have, uh, we are here to walk uh, alongside you. So uh, personally, I just want to say that it is good to be uh, back here uh, with you. I've been away from the pulpit. We don't have a pulpit, but been away uh, for uh, a couple weeks. It has been a completely uneventful few weeks uh, in the Anderson house. Uh, that's not true. Um, so I, I missed all of you uh, on Easter Sunday. I was, I was occupied. So uh, the Saturday before Easter Sunday, in the middle of the afternoon, I was finishing preparing for the message I thought I was going to give. And uh, I get a call from my sister-in-law that says, um, John, I think you better come because we need to go to the hospital uh, with my very pregnant wife. Uh, and so we went and uh, later that morning, on Easter morning, we celebrated the resurrection by welcoming in Caleb Lee. So we're excited about that, uh, and he gets all his cuteness from his mother. I don't know what I uh, contribute there, but uh, we do want to thank you uh, so much for all your prayers uh, and support. Although it was really weird not being here on Easter Sunday, but I guess if there's any good reason to play hooky from church, it's cuteness like that, right? So uh, we've done, uh, we're working on going to do the pacifier test pretty soon. We're a house divided uh, between Iowa and Iowa State. So we bought some Iowa pacifiers and some Iowa State pacifiers, and we're going to stick them in his mouth, and then we're going to see which one he spits out, then that the other one's his favorite team. So seems like pretty fair, don't you think? So that's how we're going to roll uh, with that. But in all seriousness, we could not be more excited, uh, and uh, Tiffany and Caleb are both doing uh, really well and uh, excited to meet you uh, in a few weeks. Um, but honestly, we do want to thank you for all your thoughts and all your prayers, and some of you have just gone uh, above and beyond uh, in little ways and in big ways. We just want to thank you uh, for that, which is strange because, um, you know, for the past five years, I've stood up here and preached and preached and preached and preached at you. We need to be the church, and we need to care for each other, and we need to, to relate to each other as family, as God's family, and be there for each other, and, and rejoice with each other, and mourn with each other, and, and be there, and, and do life together. And I can honestly say now, kind of being on the other side of that, <laughs> and being cared for, I just want to say thank you for being the church. Uh, you are an incredible church, and uh, it was strange to be on that floor in the hospital where I've literally been, it seems like a hundred of hundreds of times celebrating uh, new babies with you. And it was weird to be on the other side of that, to be in the hospital room. Uh, and I want to say, you are the living sermon of this church. You're the best sermon uh, that this church could ever give because you're living it. So thank you for that. And thank you for being uh, the church. And also thank you to our awesome staff here uh, at Hope Des Moines too. This is not about me or just one of us. Um, we have an incredible uh, staff and I want to especially say thank you to Andy for getting a call at 10 o'clock the night before Easter and asking him to preach. So uh, pretty thankful to have an awesome, an awesome staff uh, around us here. We love 
being the church with you. We love being on mission with you. And it never hurts to remind ourselves of what that mission is. So let's throw that up on the screen and let's read this this morning with some oomph and some gusto. This is our mission as Lutheran Church of Hope is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's our mission. That's what we're about. If you're sitting there and you're wondering, you know, what's this church all about? We are one church, multiple locations, and that is our mission. It's not to be safe. It's not to be comfortable. It's not necessarily to make you happy all the time. It's not to get whatever we want from God. It's to reach out. It's to receive his love and share that love with the world around us. That's what we've been called to do. And to further clarify what it is that we've been called to do as the church, I'm going to call upon two highly skilled theologians, our friends Jake and Elwood, to remind us this morning of what it is that's our mission. Let's take a look. They were crystal clear about what their mission was. It's dark, we're wearing sunglasses, and we're on our way to Chicago. They are on a mission from God, and there is nothing stopping them. And the same is true of us. That mission statement that we read as a church isn't just something that we came up with. It is a mission from God. It's given to us by him. And if we know anything What Andy did last week was a great job of building that bridge for us from this Jesus Christ came back from the dead, the resurrected Christ comes back and building that bridge now to this map that we have in front of us of a church on fire, of the birth of the church and how these early followers of Jesus became this thing known as the church. And we know that in the very beginning, the church was on mission. God has been on mission since the beginning of Time. So think about this for a second. Just think about this. It might actually be more accurate to say, instead of the church has a mission, it might be more accurate to say the mission has a church. Think about that. It's not ours. We didn't come up with it. God has been on mission, and the way that he's carrying that out right now in the 21st century is through us, through the church. The mission has a church, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so we know that the church did not begin with the most important thing being, do you have a church building? Or are you worshiping in a school? The most important thing was not, who's preaching that Sunday? The most important thing was not even the worship service or the weekly gathering or or great preachers or what worship style you had. Was it traditional or contemporary? None of that mattered because the guy that we are following just came back from the dead and he set our hearts on fire. And we cannot help tell about what we have seen and heard from this Jesus. We are truly on a mission from God. So just so you get it, just if it feels weird, that's okay. My job is to make you feel uncomfortable, okay? Turn and look at the people next to you and in your best kind of Eastern uh, John Belushi voice, tell your neighbor, hey, we're on a mission from God. Let them know. Just kind of elbow them and tell your neighbor, we're on a mission from God. But today, what we're going to find out is that as we begin this chapter in the story, not everybody was so excited and not everybody was on board with that mission. So I'm going to read another mission statement to you, and you tell me if this one is something that you would want to get on board with. So here's a different kind of mission statement. To persecute Christians everywhere and bring a complete end to the Jesus movement. That's what I thought. Nobody's excited about that one, right? Whose mission statement for their life do you think that is? Saul, a guy named Saul of Tarsus, and that's who we're going to learn about today. And that was his mission statement until God showed up, until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And because Jesus met him on the road that day, and Saul got his name changed to Paul, 
and got a new mission. Because of that, you and I are sitting here today. I don't know what would have happened to the church. God probably would have done a different way. But unless God shows up and dramatically changes Saul's life, we may not be sitting here being the church the way that we are today. And so we're going to figure out not only that for Paul, when you get a new mission, you get a new direction in life. Not only for Paul, but for us. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to discover more about that today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And if you're in the story, we're going to be on page 399. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. We're actually going to start today in chapter 28, which was our our, uh, chapter from last week. Because here's the thing. In order to discover the mission of Paul and why that's so important, we need to understand how we got there. We need to understand the transformation that Paul went through first. So Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And so as the church begins to grow, as you see up on this map, and and wherever those flames are, new churches are springing up and Christianity is spreading, not everybody's so excited about it. And that includes specifically the church leaders of the day, the religious, the synagogue leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because for hundreds of years, they've been following God faithfully. And in order to have a relationship with God, it's all about rules, and it's about tradition, and it's about following over 600 rules of the Old Testament. Now imagine if you're one of those synagogue leaders, and your whole life, you've been doing everything you can to follow the rules, and all of a sudden, this guy named Paul and Peter uh, start showing up, and they say, all you have to do is believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and you will be saved. It's Jesus, period. That's it. Now imagine if you're one of those leaders and you're going, what? My whole life, what have I been doing for my whole life? I've been following all the rules, I've been doing all the right things, and now you're telling me it's that easy? It's just believe in Jesus? That would be really, really frustrating. And so they're threatened by that because for them, they want to maintain the status quo. That's their role. And one of those, most notably, is a leader, is a Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. And we're going to read about him, so let's pick it up on page 399 towards the bottom. We read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I think if you've reached the point where you're breathing murderous threats, you're a little upset, don't you think? Right? So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which that was the name for followers of Jesus, there was no Christianity. Okay? There was no Christians yet. That comes later. They were called the way. Whether men or women, he might take with them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay? So think about this. Just as flawless in keeping the law, here's Saul. He thought, he thought that he was on a mission from God. He, he, he had it made up in his mind that he was doing the right Thing. And I want you to think about this. He is on his way to Damascus. And in those days, it was sort of unprofessional or disrespectful to run. If you're breathing out murderous threats, I have to believe that, that Saul was at least speedwalking, right? Have you ever seen speedwalkers? You ever watched them on ESPN or something? Like, they have speedwalking competitions. Or it's in the Olympics, I think, isn't it? Speedwalking? Yeah. You watch these, which I think is running. Um, but speedwalking, they kind of shake their hips and they go really, really fast like that. I would imagine that Saul is speedwalking to Damascus. And have you ever watched the cartoons where when they get really mad, there's like steam that goes, and like comes out of their ears, and as their blood pressure rises, rises, you can see the redness just going up their head like that. That's what I imagine Saul being like. He is really, really upset. He is on his way to persecute, maybe even kill 
Christians. But I want to pause there for a second and ask you this question. Have you ever been so certain that you're on the right path in life, that you think you've got your mind made up and nobody can tell you any differently? Have you ever been going a direction or have you ever had a priority in life where you're like, this is what God is calling me to do? Or maybe God's not even in the equation. This is what I want to do. These are my priorities. Maybe we're not too unlike Saul was on his way to Damascus where we think nobody can tell me any different because I've already made up my mind. You ever been there? Some would call it pride, stubbornness, arrogance. You ever experienced that at work? Maybe with your boss, maybe with coworkers, certainly never in your marriage, I'm guessing. Stubbornness? No, never. Pride, arrogance, my way is the right way. I'm right and you're wrong. Isn't that the mission of a marriage? Doesn't go so well, right? Maybe we have more in common with Saul than we think. And so as Saul's about to learn, sometime in, sometimes in order to find our mission in life, God needs to derail the one that we're currently on. Sometimes in, in order to get our attention, God needs to give us a wake-up call, and that's what happens. So we read on. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So God got out his big strobe light, fills the whole sky, and it says, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Okay? So imagine being Saul and you, you're not even sure that, Je- that the resurrection is real. You're not even sure that Jesus really came back from the dead. And all of a sudden, he's knocked you down on the ground and here the living, risen Jesus is speaking to you. And not just a little wimpy voice. God didn't say, oh, hey, Saul, you know, I don't really like it how you're killing my followers. So could you just kind of maybe knock that off? It's just a polite suggestion. That's not how it went down. God says, Saul, Saul, why do you, per-? you know, like, it's pretty intense. I would drop to my knees. I'd be, I'd be scared, right? So here's, it, it, the light is b- bright enough. The, the voice is boisterous enough that it literally knocks him to the ground. And there he is standing. He's obviously got Saul's attention. And we read on. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You might say he's busted. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. And so Saul is blinded, like he can't see. He cannot continue his journey. Pride, arrogance, stubbornness, crushed, mission derailed. So much so that uh, Saul is blind and so he's got to go and he's got to stay with this man named Ananias for a while. And so Saul goes from on his way to kill Christians to staying with one of the most prominent Christians in the city named Ananias. But think about this for a second. From Saul's background, isn't he the most unlikely person to be chosen by God, to, have his, to, to experience Jesus, to have an encounter with him, and then to do, as we'll later learn, great things for him? But it should not surprise us at this point in the story, because I have to imagine that in his sense of humor, Jesus is sitting there going, okay, who should I choose as the main, my main guy, the main leader of the entire Christian movement? Who's going to be my main church planter that's going to, that's going to fill the entire Roman Empire with the gospel? I need, I need a really, you know, mature, godly uh, Christian person to sort of be my leader. And later on, they'll write a good chunk of the Bible. Who should I choose? Hmm. 
oh, I know, how about the guy killing all of my followers who's not even sure if I'm alive? Perfect choice, right? Who says that God doesn't have a sense of humor? And so the first thing that you've got to know today, if we're going to find our mission in life as well, is that you are never too far away. You are never too distant from God. You're never too disconnected from him. You're never unqualified enough for God to come and use you, to, to, to meet you wherever you're at, whatever road you're on, and call your name and renew your mission. You see, for Saul, he was running away from God, but God was pursuing him. Paul could not have been farther off the mission that God had for him, but he was found by God, sought after, pursued. And maybe that's why later on the early church fathers would come to call Jesus the hound of heaven. Because he's after you. And he has been for every single one of you since the day that you were born. And I don't know what road you're on. Maybe you're not like Saul, and I'm guessing that none of you, your day job is to kill Christians. Uh, if that's the case, we have a support group for you. Celebrate recovery uh, on Thursday nights. You may want to get some help with that. But I don't know what road you're on. You may not be on the road to Damascus, but you may be on that road where you've just been kind of drifting off and slowly wandering away from God, and you can't remember the last time you had intimacy with him. Maybe you have, like Saul, have been intentionally wandering away. And you've said, you know what? I'm an adult. I'm an individual. I'm strong. I'm independent. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going I'm to set my own priorities in life. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I'm, I'm just starting to get into this church thing again. Maybe you've been away for a while or maybe for the first time and you're like, I have no idea where to start. <laughs> I, I don't know where things are in the Bible. I don't know how to start uh, a prayer life. I, 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 you know, or maybe you've been wandering away recently and you're just filled with a lot of guilt and shame today. Wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself today, know this, that if God can show up on the Damascus road to Saul, he can show up wherever you are, call your name and get you back on mission. Because as our story continues, he goes to the house of Ananias and Ananias is sent there by God to baptize him and then to wipe away his blindness. Do I believe that Saul was truly, literally blind? I don't think so. I think he was spiritually blind. And that's almost worse. And I wonder if for some of you today, God says, I want to put my hand right over your eyes and I want you to be able to see again. Not physically, like I get it. I know you can see. But God says, I want to wake you up I want, I want to make you see again so that you can see what is going on around you. You can see the mission that, of God that is unfolding around you every single day. I don't want you to miss it. And that's what happened. Ananias put his hand over Saul's eyes, wiped him away, and it says, I love this part of the story, it says this, almost at once, at once, Saul began to teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the synagogues. Think about the, the, the massiveness, the, the, the miracle of what just happened here. The same guy who just days earlier was off to murder Christians is now out making them. Who can do that but God alone? You see, for some of you, just like Saul, he wants to open your eyes to the mission that he has for you. And if you've been going your own way, he says, turn around. 
If you've been standing on the sideline of life, he says, get in the game. And I don't know what that looks like for you today, but maybe for some of you, it's letting him have control of your calendar and saying, God, I'm going to start with a blank slate at the beginning of the week, and God, you tell me what's important about how and where I spend my time. Maybe it's letting go of the fear that you have of, man, if I get more involved in this churchy stuff, I don't want to get too serious about my faith. I don't want to be one of those Christians. Maybe it's giving up control of this thing that you've held on to so long that you don't let anybody pass that guard. That I'm just going to show up here on Sundays, I'm just going to do my thing, and if anybody tries to to crack that code, to crack that wall that I've built up around me, things are going to get really uncomfortable because I don't really want everybody to know who I really am. Does anybody really know you? Or what does it mean to truly be the church? Maybe there's that gift that's inside of you that needs to be used for God's kingdom and it's just dying to get out, but you're so afraid to step out in faith. What is it for you? What road are you on today? For some of you, you're thinking, you know what? My best years are behind me. I've been in the church for a long time. I've been a part of 20 Bible studies and 10 small groups. I've sung all the songs. I've been a part of seven churches. I know it all. I get it all. And now I'm just going to kind of put my feet up and coast into church retirement. Well, I got a newsflash for you. I don't know if you've noticed, but almost every single story that we've read in this Bible of God with his people, the people that God has significantly used are almost always, 95% of the time, in the back half of their life, if not the last fourth of their life. And that's when God says to them, comes to them and says, now I'm ready to use you. What if your next five years were your best five years? What if it's time to get off the road that you're on and start going on the path with God? What would it look like if you did that? It's time to get back on the mission, to leave the road that you're on and get back on mission with God. Not when your schedule's perfect, not when your circumstances perfectly line up, because they're never going to perfectly line up. God's mission is all around us, in your family, in your friendships, in your community, in this city. God is moving. The question is, will we join him on that mission? And I want to get really practical for a second. At the, at, the, at the first service, there are kids up in our KQ classroom that would love more men and women to model what a godly man or woman looks like in their life and point them to Jesus. We need some dudes up there. We need some men. I love ladies up there, and we have a whole bunch of ladies, but those kids need to see that men are serious about their faith and love Jesus too. Amen? There are life groups just waiting to start here at Hope Des Moines. They need leaders. <laughs> They need people that, they don't know it all. They don't have everything memorized. People that are just willing to open up their lives or maybe open up their living room and say, hey, let's figure this Jesus thing out together. Let's go on mission together. There's, there's uh, people that are, are waiting to be invited into a relationship. There's young couples that are waiting to be mentored by older couples. There's songs that are waiting to be sung by worship team members. There's instruments that are waiting to be played. There are neighbors that are across from you, where you live, that are waiting to be invited in to experience the kind of community that you experience here every week. Why would we just keep it to ourselves if it's such good news? It's time to get on mission. It's time to get off the path that you're on and get back on board with mission. God says, I don't want you to miss the point. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and find that you spent yourselves on something that's not going to last. There's no U-Hauls in heaven. You can't take it with you. 
And the only thing that are going to last is your relationship with, your, with God and the relationship with the people around you. That's what matters for eternity. And I want to ask you the question, what's your mission? What are you going to do this week that's going to matter for eternity? What are you going to do this week that will live on beyond you? Because my fear is, is that we can get wrapped up in smaller stories, in smaller missions. And if we're not careful, we find these little quirks and these little hobbies and these little things that we do that we spend so much of our time on. And they're fun and they're cute, but they're not going to last. They're not going to build God's kingdom. And on a lighter note, I wanted to give you an example of what this looked like. This might be the strangest sermon illustration that you ever see me use. But I want to introduce you to someone that has a mission but it's not quite a mission that's going to last for eternity. I'd like to introduce you to my friend David Neville that spent months, literally months, alone in a cold, abandoned warehouse inventing a robot, inventing a machine for the life and death mission of separating the cookie from the cream of an Oreo. Let's take a look. Okay, so <laughs> I watched some of you, and seriously, most of you were sitting there going, whoa. For some of you, you might have just found your calling in life, okay? <laughs> Folks, wake up. It's an Oreo cookie, okay? And by the way, you are allowed to laugh in this church, okay? You can laugh whenever you want to, right? It's an Oreo cookie, and I know it's funny, and I have nothing against Oreos. I like them, okay? With the cream in them. I don't need the machine, right? Part of me is just saying you could take a a fork or a knife and scrape it off, right? Why I showed you that video is to tell you this. If we're not careful, we will spend our lives investing in blood, sweat, tears, sacrificing, giving our lives to things that will not last. And I had to come up with something that outrageous to get us to think in the span of eternity of the things that are really going to matter of telling people about the love and the life transformation power of Jesus Christ. What are you spending your time on these days? Are you going to get to the end of your day and God's going to say, probably like he's going to say to that guy, that was really cute. And God says, I like Oreos too. But it's not going to last. What's your mission? What's your mission? How many of us will spend our days doing things that will not last? And, and I wonder when I ask that question, what's your mission, some of you automatically go to what I do from 9 to 5. And yes, it could be that, but I have a feeling that it's bigger than that. I have a feeling that it's outside of that, that God may want to use what you do from 9 to 5 to help accomplish your mission. But I have a feeling it's less about what you do and it's more about who God has made you to be. That regardless of whether you're at your job or you're at home or you're in the community or with your family, this is who God has made me and this is who I've been created to be. What is your mission and is it worth living for? And for Paul, it was. Paul got a brand new mission statement. You remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem and you'll receive power and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. And that's where God specifically places Paul on the front lines to go reach those people that aren't Jewish, that are, like all of us, Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew. That's Paul's mission. And we read that together. Turn to page 409. We're in chapter 29 now. Page 409 or Acts chapter 13, verse 46. 
So Paul is out and he's preaching the gospel and he's going on his missionary journeys. One of his friends is Barnabas and they stand before the synagogue one day and they say this, middle of page 409. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. And this is Paul's new mission statement for his life. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. And let's read this together up on the screen. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So his mission statement goes from destroy the movement to lead the movement. Paul is on a mission from God. Over 700 years ago, that verse was uttered by the prophet Isaiah. Can you imagine getting God's call in your life and knowing that it's 700 years old and that somebody prophesied about how you would fulfill God's mission? That had to be an amazing experience for Paul. And how does he know he's on a mission from God? Because he's aligning himself with the upper story. Do you remember the upper story and the lower story, right? This is what God is doing in the world. This is what we can see from our human vantage point. God has been on mission and Paul says, God, I'm just going to look what you're doing in the world. The gospel needs to go to the Gentiles. That's my mission. I'm aligning myself, God, with what you're already doing. I'm not making up my own mind about it. And there's a big difference there. God wants to make salvation open to everyone, not just the Jews. So Paul puts on his sunglasses and his black suit and jumps in the car with the Blues Brothers and goes on mission. And he starts planting churches. And as you see from the map, this isn't just for us to look at. This is how Christianity spread. So here's Jerusalem down here. And this is where the church started, but we know that the church was persecuted, right? And so they had to move their headquarters up here north to a city called Antioch. And that's where, in Antioch, is where the Christians were first called Christians. Did you know that? Right? They went from being the way, and then in Antioch, they were first called Christians. So Paul leaves and is sent out from Antioch to go plant churches. And he comes here to Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. And from there, he goes up to the city of Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians. That's right. And he continues on. He goes to Corinth, where we get the book of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And finally, he gets stranded for a while. And this is like a really quick jet tour. He went on three missionary trips. And he finally ends up in Rome, where we get the book of Romans. And this is his church planning strategy. He goes into the town. He goes to the synagogue. He starts preaching the gospel uh, about Jesus. And he appoints elders. And wherever these flames pop up, the church explodes. And as Andy mentioned last week, the thing that we get most scared of with fire is that sometimes you can't control it. When the, 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 the flame is fanned, it takes off, and there's no stopping it. And that's what happened with the early church. That's what happened when Paul started preaching the gospel. And all of it happened because one day, God broke in to Saul's life. All because God took a Jesus hater and made him the most prolific church planter of all time. Made him the author of about the back fourth of your Bible. Imagine that. All because God said, nothing is impossible for me. And if God can do that in his life, why do we ever, ever underestimate what God can do in our lives? Maybe your prayers need to get a little bit bigger. Maybe instead of, God, make me a good person, 
How about God change my life? God, give me a new purpose. Give me a new calling. Give me a new direction. Give me new priorities for my life. And that's what he did for Paul. Later on in the book of Philippians, to the church of Philippi, Paul writes this about his new priorities in life. Let's read that together. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That doesn't sound to me like a man that is concerned about what other people might think. It doesn't sound to me like a man who's worried about, oh, what if I get too excited about this whole church thing and this whole Christianity thing? Folks, you got to understand that for these early believers of Jesus, they were being persecuted. And so there was no halfway, lukewarm, I'm in, I'm out sort of Christians. There was no dipping your toe in the water. You were either jumping in the pool of Christianity with a big cannonball or you weren't even at the pool. Okay? There was no halfway. Because if you're in, you're being persecuted. So why would you want to do something halfway if you're going to get killed for it? That's how serious they were. This was a life or death situation. And for Paul, he says, nothing else matters in comparison to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says later on, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How amazing to reach the point in your life where you're saying, I have a purpose for my life. It is to know Christ and make him known. And if I die, I have nothing to fear because I will live with him forever. That's God's, that's God's mission for your life, is to be at that point where you can say that. No fear in life, no fear in death. The resurrected Jesus Christ lives inside of me. Is that real for you today? Is that true of you today? What mission would be worth giving your life for? What kind of a church would you want to be a part of (laughs) that had a mission that you were willing to say, I'm all in? How about this? How about the mission of Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines is to have a new, great big permanent building with all the furnishings? Anybody on board? Neat, but not quite enough giving your life for, right? How about um, our mission as a church is to have come together every week at Hubble and have an hour of singing? Neat, but not quite enough, right? How about, oh, how about this? How about the mission of our church is to help people become better people? Not quite riveting enough. I don't see anybody signing up yet. No, how about the mission of our church is to stay small. We want to be small and intimate. We never should have gone to two services because now I don't know everybody's name and I'm not safe and I'm not comfortable and I don't know everybody. I just want to stay little hope forever. That's our mission. That's worth living and dying for. Not quite. Because what happens when God continues to grow little hope and we're not so little anymore? What happens when God continues to change people's lives and people continue to come in and experience the love of Jesus Christ? Which one of you are going to stand up and say, no, we want to stay small. There's no room for you. You need to leave. That would be kind of tough. Not quite giving your life for. 
Instead, what about a mission to see God transform lives, to see eternity changed for people? Now, that would be something that I could sign up for. See, then all the little things start to make sense. The reason we do all the little things around here is to connect to the main thing, and that's telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. It's the reason we serve. It's the reason we get dirty and messy in the brokenness of people's lives. It's the reason we have between 60 and 70 people that are homeless here every single week because we want to get into their lives and love them as Jesus did. It's the reason that we serve coffee. It's the reason we set up chairs. It's the reason we set up sound equipment. It's the reason that we greet. It's the reason that we invite our neighbors in. It's the reason we do everything we do, because nothing is greater, as Paul said, than the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul later writes in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, we're, we're one body, and we're called to have a mission that's greater than ourselves, something that's worth living and dying for. But he also says, just as a human body, there's individual body parts, and every single one of us is called to have a mission as well. And so here's where I want to leave it this morning for you. If you had a personal mission statement for your life, what would that be right now? If you had a personal mission, what would that look like? And I'm not saying it's not going to change in, in different seasons of your life and circumstances, but what is it that God has uniquely called you to do? Where is he calling you to join him? And I'm not necessarily talking about what you do as a job, I'm talking about who you are. And as a funny little example, I want to tell you about my Uncle Mike. And here's what we'll wrap up today. My Uncle Mike works for Delta Airlines. Used to be Northwest, now Delta. And my Uncle Mike works in the IT department, so he sits in front of a computer all day. Riveting, I know. And some of you are sitting there going, I have the exact same job, and I am bored out of my mind. Some of you are saying, I can't, I, I can't wait for the weekend, and I dread Monday morning every single week. And that was my Uncle Mike for a while. He just talks to pilots and he coordinates flight schedules and he just answers the phone and answers IT questions all day. That was his life. And he said, there's no way that God can use me on the fourth floor of the east wing of Delta Tech Support. Where is God here? What's my mission? And then he starts looking around him and he sees broken and hurting coworkers, all hundreds of them all over his floor. And then he notices something different. He's very astute and he says, everybody loves to go to the vending machines. And they love to go to the pot machines. And they love to go out and get fast food. Things that aren't very healthy for them. And so he says, people connect over food and drink, right? And they take multiple breaks a day. Coffee breaks, snack breaks, those sorts of things. Well, what if instead of going to the vending machines and going out and isolating ourselves, what if they came to my desk? What if they came to my cubicle? And so one week, he went out to like Sam's or Costco and, and bought in bulk, uh, uh, you know, Sack lunches and treats and candy bars and, and uh, healthy drinks and water and yogurt and fruit and all these sorts of things and put a sign on the front of his desk or on his cubicle that said, Mike's Mini Mart. On the fourth floor of the east wing of Delta Technical Support, an ambassador for the kingdom of God at Mike's Mini Mart. And so on the sign, it said, everything, 25 cents. Okay? Because he had to lure him away from the vending machines, right? So he opens this up. I don't know if his boss knows about it or not, but uh, people started coming. And like, 25 cents, that's great. And so he'd just keep buying stuff and restocking Mike's Minimart. And people would come and he'd start to get to know him. 
started to build relationships with these people that he used to sit around every day. Do you know the names of the people that you work with? And he gets to know their names and he gets to know the brokenness and the things that are hurting in their lives. And then one day he just says, can I, can I pray for you? I don't care that we're working at Delta. Can I pray for you right now? And he starts to pray for people and these guys start to weep and he starts inviting them into this church all because he set up Mike's Mini Mart. And a couple weeks ago, I got the 2012 Mike's Mini Mart annual report in my email. And little did all these guys know, some of them knew when he would tell them, but what are all these quarters going towards? Is it just to be rich? Is it just to fill your pockets for Uncle Mike? No, it was something bigger than that. Little did the fourth floor of the East Wing of Delta Technical Support know they just went on a mission from God. All in quarters, $100, freedom for 24, mission in India, rescuing young girls from human trafficking. $100 in quarters, women's shelter in Jerusalem, hosting Jewish and Arab women who are being abused. $100, Operation Christmas Child, shoeboxes full of gifts given to children in needy countries. $100 in quarters, Bunia Children's Home Center, an orphanage in the Congo. $50 for an Eagle Scout efforts to make 100 fleece blankets for orphanages in the Ukraine. $100 in quarters, Samaritan's Purse, assisting with humanitarian efforts around the world. And I could go on and on and on. The annual report was this long when I printed it off. And dozens, dozens, dozens more. This year alone in quarters, to God's mission from Mike's Mini Mart, over $1,000. So what's your excuse? Where can't God use you? What is the mission that God is putting all around you? And he just wants to put his hands on your eyes and open them up so you can see. This is not the end of church. Church starts when you go be the church out those doors at the end of this service. What would it look like to be the church seven days a week? Uncle Mike has done this for 10 years in a row. That's $10,000 from running Mike's Mini Mart. God shows up where we least expect it. And at the end of his letter, he signs it on mission for him. Sincerely, Mike, stock boy. What's your mission? What is your mission? What are you going to do this week that's going to matter for eternity? And so instead of just talking about it, I want you to grab that little note card that's on your chair today and a pen that's next to you. I want everybody to do this. It's an all play. Because God has poured out his spirit on all people and he's given us power to join him in his mission. So there's a little gray card with the little Blues Blues Brothers on it and it says, I'm joining God's mission. I'm on mission with God to, you fill in the blank, you complete that sentence. Every single one of us has a mission from God. And what I'm asking you to do is ask God, what are you telling me? Who are the people and the places and the circumstances that you've put around me every single day that you're calling me to engage in? Just ask him. Just take some time and be fully present to God right now. The band's just going to play a little bit. Pray about this. Don't just let another Sunday go by where you come and go. What, it is that, what is it that God's called you to do? And if you don't know right now, that's okay. 
But this is going to be something that only you're going to see. You don't have to turn it in or show it to anybody. It's between you and God. But when you've written that on there, I want you to stick it in your Bible or stick it on your mirror at home, somewhere where you're going to see it every single day to remind yourself. So take that with you when you leave today. But I want to give you a couple minutes. Just think and pray. What's your mission?